today on the podcast, we're going to get you all set up for one of the biggest oral arguments the Supreme Court has seen in a long, long time. The future of abortion rights is at stake, and we're going to help you understand why. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. So if you haven't already, you're probably going to be hearing a lot about abortion rights this week. That's because tomorrow, December 1st, the Supreme Court will hear oral argument in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, or just Dobbs if you're into the whole brevity thing. As we'll hear more about in just a bit, Dobbs is a case out of Mississippi that centers around whether the state's new abortion restrictions are constitutional. And by the way, if that sounds familiar, it should, because the nine justices just heard a case about another abortion law, this one out of Texas, with similar circumstances. But while the Texas case mainly hinged on wonky procedural issues, Dobbs is seen as the one that gets right at the heart of whether or not abortion should be legal in the United States, and if so, how states can regulate them. To set up how tomorrow's argument is going to go and to talk about what this case really means, I rang up Kimberly Robinson. She covers the Supreme Court for Bloomberg Law, and due to COVID restrictions, she'll be one of the very few people in the courtroom during tomorrow's argument. Oh, and it's also worth mentioning she has her own podcast that focuses exclusively on the Supreme Court. It's called Cases and Controversies, and it's very, very good. Anyway, I started off by asking Kimberly to explain to us how we got here, what this law at issue in Dobbs really is, and why it's not in effect right now while the Texas law is. So Mississippi is one of several states to have passed these abortion laws seeking to either restrict or overturn the court's ruling in Roe v. Wade. So here in 2018, Mississippi passed what's called the Gestational Age Act, which bans abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. There are two exceptions in the law, um, one if it's necessary for the health of the mother and another if there's a severe fetal abnormality that is, quote, inconsistent with life outside of the womb. But those are the only two exceptions. So one of the things I want to get at is this idea of Planned Parenthood versus Casey. And I think, you know, there's there's Roe versus Wade, which everyone, like everyone knows what that is. But there's also this other case, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, that's really significant too. And I've heard a lot of people say that this case gets at the heart of Casey. Can you talk about the, those two different cases and what the distinction is? Right. Yeah. So we tend to use like Roe as the shorthand for abortion rights. But of course, uh, as you mentioned, Casey is really important. So let's go back to 1973 when the Supreme Court said that, you know, the constitutional right to privacy uh, that had previously been determined to allow things like parental control over your children, or the right to contraceptive. Uh, The Supreme Court said that also encompassed a right to an abortion. But the court in Roe didn't say that there was an absolute right to an abortion. Okay, so let's fast forward. That's Roe, right? So fast forward to 1992, and the Supreme Court is considering a a Pennsylvania law. Um, It's not an outright ban of abortion, but instead it's placing some restrictions on it. So think things like a 24-hour waiting period, um, parental or spousal notification, right? And I think in what uh, most people thought was a surprising result, actually, the Supreme Court upheld Roe's determination that there is a right to uh, an abortion. Uh, But again, there's not an absolute right to an abortion. 
but the state can regulate abortions uh, if it doesn't place what we now know to be an undue burden. Undue burden. Undue burden, right. So so Casey is where we get this really undue burden standard. And I mean, that's where we've been for the last almost 30 years. Is it possible then that the justices could, with this Dobbs case, leave Roe intact and say abortion is legal, women have a constitutional right to an abortion, but get rid of the undue burden standard. And they could say, you know, states can pass any kind of abortion regulations that they want, regardless of whether it's a due or undue burden or any kind of burden. Yeah. So, um, I mean, (laughs) whenever you ask me about the Supreme Court and what it's going to do, I'm always, um, yeah, as soon as I say something, they're going to say exactly the opposite. Yes. So I think many people are thinking the outcome here is not going to be that the Supreme Court is going to say, we overturn Roe versus Wade, uh, but instead going to say, yes, there is a right to an abortion, but they're going to change that standard that we talked about in Casey. Um, And so I think there is a very real possibility that, you know, the kind of core of Roe versus Wade stays. um, But we see a test that the Supreme Court puts in place that makes it easier for states to place that undo or do burden, as you put it. I see. Okay, so let's uh, now briefly get to this uh, Texas abortion law. It's been grabbing a lot of headlines, um, but I'm a little confused about why the court allowed that law to stay in effect while it worked its way through the judicial system, and it did the opposite for the Mississippi law. What's going on here? <laughs> well, I think that the answer to that question is largely largely due to the composition of the Supreme Court. And so, uh, again, it's ha- always hard to tell what the Supreme Court is going to do. But I'm pretty confident that if Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg was still on the bench today, that the Texas law would not be in effect. And, you know, that's really because the Supreme Court said – it didn't say uh, that Texas's uh, six-week abortion ban is constitutional and that states can go ahead and just pass six-week abortion bans. But instead, the justices said there were too many procedural quirks, really, for them to get involved um, You know, at this early stage. There were procedural hiccups in the Texas SB8 law, um, but I think ultimately the, the reason that we see Texas go into effect and we don't we didn't see Mississippi go into effect was really just a question of timing. Got it. So let's talk about um, the stakes here and and what people on both sides are feeling Uh, on your podcast cases and controversies uh, earlier this month. You interviewed some abortion rights activists who were extremely pessimistic about the outcome in Dobbs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Why they're feeling that way? Uh, sure. I, you know, one thing I think is striking is that uh, we did speak to advocates, um, one in particular who had argued the Casey case uh, before the Supreme Court, and the feeling was very much the same, I think, before Casey that it is now. And ultimately, we came up with a com- uh, compromise decision, Casey, right, like we talked about. I don't think that there's that feeling that the same thing is going to happen this time around. Um, and again, I'm, you know, I 
hate to repeat myself over and over again, but that's really just because of the composition of the court. And so, um, again, we have Amy Coney Barrett and Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch, you know, all three Trump appointees uh, on the court of nine. That's a pretty big percentage. And, you know, President Trump said his, you know, kind of number one criteria uh, in appointing Supreme Court justices were that they would quote, automatically overturn Roe versus Wade. So I think if we're taking him and his word there, um, that's a pretty good indication that that's where those three are feeling about this case. Uh, but you said it yourself that the Supreme Court is sort of famously unpredictable. So let's assume that the petitioners here, Jackson Women's Health, win this case. How would, if that happens, how would that happen? And what would a victory look like? What is the best case scenario for the petitioners here in Dobbs? Well, I think those are really two different questions, right? So what um, does a victory look like and what's the best case scenario? So probably if, if you're putting yourself in the shoes of an abortion rights activist, I don't think that a victory is really possible here, right? So let's talk about the best case scenario. The best case scenario is the Supreme Court comes up with a ruling that says Roe versus Wade and Casey stands and that when courts look at these uh, abortion restrictions that states pass, they have to do so with a really skeptical eye um, and leave, you know, kind of our current status quo in place. That's something I don't think most people are are thinking is going to happen. Um, I think more likely that the court's going to come up with this compromised opinion that says, yes, there's a right to an abortion, but, um, you know, we're going to fiddle with the with the standard that courts should use when they look at these restrictions and make it a little easier or a lot easier for states to uh, pass these laws and put them in effect like we see in SB8 uh, in Texas. Uh so that is the best case scenario and kind of a better case scenario. Um, well, we know. I guess we know. We know what the worst case scenario is. For that's them. right. Roe v. Wade gone. Yes, for abortion activists, that's the worst case scenario, of course. Right. Well, um, yeah, right. Uh, well, actually, probably not, David. Actually, probably the worst case scenario is if the Supreme Court decides. You know, not only can states. Uh, kind of restrict abortion, but instead that the Constitution provides a protection of the life of an unborn fetus. Okay, so that's not something that we're getting into probably with Dobbs. But I do think, uh, getting back to your question about what a victory it would be here, I don't know. I mean, we're talking about uh, abortion rights advocates defending laws that have been in place for 50, 30 years. And I think even if the Supreme Court were to affirm those rights in whole, kind of give a, a Roe versus Wade and Casey is the law of land, and we we really meant it. The fact that we're here arguing about it in the Supreme Court really, I think, puts kind of abortion advocates kind of on their heels and shows that, that there's going to really be a fight going forward. Um, let's talk about the attorneys who will be going before the court uh, tomorrow. Uh, who are they? What are their backgrounds? And uh, you know, what do they bring to the table? This case is being argued on the day after the 141st anniversary of the first woman uh, to argue at the Supreme Court. And um, 
probably on purpose. We have two women who are celebrating that. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone's thinking about that that very momentous um, anniversary. 141st anniversary, right. So first up is going to be Julie Reichelman of the Center for Reproductive Rights. We're the same group that advocated on behalf of the abortion clinics in the Texas uh, abortion litigation. Uh, so she's going to be making her second argument at the court, and she's going to be supported by Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogger, um, who's going to be arguing as a friend of the court on the side of the abortion clinics here. And then on the side of the state for Mississippi is going to be its Solicitor General, uh, Scott Stewart, who's going to be making his debut. But, you know, all of these advocates really come from that exactly what you what we've talked about on our podcast cases and controversies you know people who have these stellar backgrounds are all going to do a great job uh, advocating for their positions and well that's what that's what i wonder i've always wondered this is that is it possible that if an attorney you know comes up uh before argument at the supreme court and really face plants like just absolutely like whiffs the argument could that change the outcome of the case I mean, I find that hard to to imagine that the justices could change their minds based on an attorney's performance. Yeah, I've seen some some pretty bad advocates before the Supreme Court before, and that hasn't translated always to to losses. I do think um, there are different points. So I think on the flip side of that, though, and I saw in arguments yesterday, Justice Kagan really going at an advocate and um, asking questions and questions. And then finally, the advocate got to a point where it seemed like he really convinced Justice Kagan of this point. That's not going to change Justice Kagan's whole perspective on the case. It's Maybe she won't put that in her opinion that certain point. Uh, but no, I don't think that the advocates here are really going to make a difference with regard to the bottom line. But I think with regard to the specifics, maybe. Right. That's but that and that's still important. I mean, it might not change the outcome of the case, but it can change what's in the opinion. And that's really important. And that can be really important. Um, that's not going to happen here, though, David, because <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to be super. Um, yeah, this is just an issue. It's not like we're talking here. I think yesterday we were talking about Medicare Part A, right? And that's the example that I gave. But here we're talking about abortion. This is something that, like, people on both sides are very, that's uh, you know, planted in their ideas. This isn't something that's, like, just come up and they're like, oh, this is an interesting question. Let me think about it. Right. This is something everybody's kind of very ingrained in their, their way of thinking. And then finally, really, really briefly, I want to talk about what it's like to be back at the court. And specifically, I want to talk about what it's like for the attorneys arguing before the court uh, to be back at the court now after the uh, COVID restrictions or some of the COVID restrictions have been lifted. What's it like for you? What's it like for them? Are they saying that, you know, the court's doing a good job of bringing people back or are they a little cranky? Uh, both. Yes. Um, so in true lawyerly fashion, I'll say both. Uh, I think that uh, the advocates are really happy to be back in the courtroom. There's just no substitute for being able to talk one-on-one with someone. But I think on the flip side, you know, the court's coming back with, uh, you know, several restrictions. So the courtroom isn't full. There's just a handful of reporters and some law clerks. I think yesterday I was in the courtroom. There were only six reporters in there, which is kind of uh, 
Come on, guys, let's get it together. <laughs> no, but it, so it sounds it sounds like the you know the lawyers are are really happy to be back, but it's still not the same. It's still an eerie kind of feeling with an empty court, right? Um, it it is, and so I think on our podcast cases and controversies, we talked to one advocate who was the second case to be argued that day, and he talked about how. Uh, he was kind of waiting outside the courtroom to go in because they're not allowed to sit in on the arguments. They're trying to, you know, limit who can be in the courtroom. And he walks in and all the reporters are shuffling out and going to write about the first case. And he gets in and then, you know, Chief Justice Roberts is kind of like drumming his fingers on the on the bench, like, let's get this started. And he's, he's just got to like go. Um, so you know, it's not exactly the same and who knows when we're going to get back to real life, but uh, it is nice to be back inside the courtroom. Uh, All right. Well, that was Kimberly heading back into the courtroom right now. She's going there to cover arguments this morning. Kimberly Robinson, thank you so much for talking with me. Happy to do it. And that's another episode of On the Merits in the Books. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, our editor, Cheryl Sines, and our executive producer is Josh Block. And definitely check out Kimberly's podcast, Cases and Controversies. She and Bloomberg Law reporter Jordan Rubin break down every case that comes before the Supreme Court. Yes, every single case. It is such a good podcast. Thanks for listening to this one, and we'll see you next week. You don't need to be a judge to be interested in our nation's laws and legal institutions. Just like you don't need to have a law degree to be curious about the inner workings of courts, law firms, and law schools. That's where we come in. My name's Adam Allington, and I'm the host of Uncommon Law, a podcast from the Bloomberg Industry Group. Uncommon Law is where public policy, storytelling, and the law are combined. We explore big topics ranging from tech policy to free speech to race and gender diversity. So please give us a listen. You can subscribe and download today. Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much.